relentless and record-breaking. New York State digging out with more lake effect snow blowing in. This is not typical, not normal. A dangerous storm that runs deep. It's definitely a little heavier than I was expecting. The weather watch on both sides of the border. Condemnation from the head of FIFA on the eve of the World Cup. It's just hypocrisy. As Soccer Canada breaks its silence on Qatar's human rights record. We stand behind the rest of the international community. Blas gearing up for the Grey Cup. We're the best. Win or lose, we're here. Football festivities before the main event. CTV National News with Sandy Ronaldo. Good evening. They are using words like historic and epic. So much snow has fallen on western New York State since Thursday night that records are being broken daily, nearly 200 centimeters in the past 24 hours. Now, for context, picture former Raptor star Kyle Lowry at six feet tall. And it's not over yet. Hundreds of cars have been abandoned. Buildings are burdened by the weight. One of the hardest-hit communities, Orchard Park, just south of Buffalo, is buried under 195 centimeters of snow. As we hear from CTV's Adrian Gobrio, Buffalo has become a city of good neighbors, where even reporters turn into good Samaritans. Adrian. Sandy, everyone chipping in today to dig out as this relentless lake effect system pounds the region. An extraordinary whiteout in western New York is spurring a massive mobilization. I will be, as of today, signing a request for a federal emergency declaration. Nearly two meters of snow and counting has fallen. We believe we'll be making history with having the most amount of snowfall in a 24-hour period. Here in Orchard Park, New York, they received upwards of 195 centimeters of snow. And take a look at this house behind me. Not only is the front door snowed in, so are those windows. Uh, it's just too much. The weight of the snow isn't just resting on roofs, but also on the minds of area residents. Very concerned, and we hear noises. You're hearing noises? Oh, what yeah. Noises you, heard from it's so, noises you don't like to hear. Steve Perkins' plans for a romantic weekend in Niagara with his wife didn't go as planned. I had to sleep overnight on the freeway because somebody abandoned a car, so it was only one lane traffic. We found him stuck again on a side street. I had just been my whole day right here. But in the city of good neighbors, even if you're not from these parts, you lend a helping hand. 30 minutes south of Buffalo, mounds of snow is being hauled off of side streets and being dumped into parking lots like this. Hundreds and hundreds of loads, thousands of loads. Regular snow removal plans are being tossed out the window. Uh, with a storm like this, this is not typical, not normal. Since Thursday, big rigs have lined the I-90 waiting to be granted access to the freeway. Nearly 300 people have been rescued with at least 88 collisions. We were able to avert many tragedies and we know that from having gone through countless snowstorms. The perseverance of Buffalo residents shining through even during the toughest of days. Buffalo's always breaking records. Here we just get a couple, you know, 12 packs of beer and just like hang on the house. It just melts. It always goes away. That optimism will be needed. The snow is falling and blowing again with up to 30 centimeters in the forecast. Sandy. All right. Thank you, Adrian. CTV's 
Adrian Gobriel in Buffalo tonight. Well, if we thought we were immune to nature's wrath, just wait. CTV meteorologist Kelsey McCune joins us. Kelsey, warnings of intense snow squalls as winds shift to the north. So what exactly does that mean? Sandy, it means a lot of Canadians are going to be shoveling over the next couple of days. You need a couple things for lake effect snow to happen. Cold Arctic air is the number one, but the second is a large stretch of open, unfrozen water for that cold air to move over. It picks up all of that moisture and dumps it out as lake effect snow. That's why November is the perfect setup for this, is that cold there moves its way southward and the Great Lakes are not yet frozen. Now those winds are shifting, moving the snow out of Buffalo, but prompting a number of Canadian communities to be included in these warnings. And we're looking for totals anywhere between 30 to 50 centimeters of snow. Now that's a foot and a half to up to two feet of snow for communities along the northern shores of Lake Erie, but also the southeastern shores of Lake Huron and Georgian Bay. So Owen Sound, the Bruce Peninsula, the Kawarthas. Snow squalls will slowly come to an end through the day on Sunday. Sandy? All right. Thank you, I hope. CTV meteorologist Kelsey McEwen. Thanks, Kelsey. You're welcome. And for very different reasons, weather is also a factor in Qatar on the eve of the World Cup. Clear skies set the scene tonight for a massive fireworks display illuminating Doha's skyline. Let's bring in chief anchor Omar Sachidina. So, Omar, you went from snow in Toronto to stifling heat in Doha. Sandy, yes, humidity tonight is hovering around 70% and it got above 30 degrees here today. Good evening, everyone. It can reach as high as 50 degrees here in the summer. Still, for November, it's slightly hotter than what organizers had been forecasting, which will impact the airflow inside the stadiums. But tonight, riding out his own storm of controversy is the president of FIFA, who for 95 minutes today rejected criticism of the host city and scolded the critics. Despite all the noise, Canada's most bankable player had his game face on. CTV's Heather Wright starts us off. Canada's biggest star, Alfonso Davies, took to the pitch for practice, still nursing a hamstring injury that threatens to sideline the star forward. He's still building towards uh, hitting his top speed. He hasn't hit that top speed yet. As the football world gathers in Qatar, there was little talk about the tournament at Gianni Infantino's news conference this morning. Today, I have uh, very strong feelings. FIFA's president opened with a nearly hour-long monologue where he railed against Western criticism of the host country, feel, uh, calling coverage of Qatar's human rights record and treatment of migrant workers hypocritical and racist. I think for what we Europeans have been doing in the last 3,000 years around the world, we should be apologizing for the next 3,000 years before starting to give moral lessons to people. Infantino began his speech by stating he relates to the people Qatar is accused of mistreating, claiming he understands what it feels like to be discriminated against because he was bullied in school. I was bullied because I had uh, red hair and I had these red, how do you call them? Uh, freckles. Freckles. Reaction has been swift, with the FIFA boss being accused of brushing aside legitimate concerns. The German Football Association said today they will pull their support for his re-election next year to send a message. Especially after his letter two weeks ago that human rights should not play a role and we should focus on football, we were irritated considerably. While other teams are calling out Qatar on the issue of human rights, Canada soccer is being called out for not saying enough. 
In a letter sent yesterday, Amnesty International tells the organization its silence raises questions about your stated commitment to upholding Canada's global reputation as a defender of human and LGBTQ2S plus rights. Amnesty International is not the only one asking Canada soccer to do more. Human Rights Watch says it has sent the organization six letters since April and has yet to receive a single response. Omar. All right, Heather Wright here in Doha. Heather, thank you. And let's get reaction to that letter from Amnesty from the man it was addressed to, Earl Cochran, the General Secretary for Canada's soccer, who spoke with us tonight in an exclusive interview. Our stance, our commitment, and our ask of, of all the stakeholders involved, FIFA, government of Qatar, to continue the work that they've done to deal with some of the issues on the ground with, with the, the rights issues, the migrant workers issues. Um, and we renew that call, right? We want them to do and continue to be at the table to make the necessary changes to affect the lives that are on the ground. We would hope and encourage that, that they do everything they can for the migrant workers, for the families that were lost, and to continue, once the lights have been turned off here in Qatar and the world's gone away, to continue the progress that they've made. Do you think there could be more that Canada soccer could be could be doing and, and saying? Because deafening silence, I mean, I'm, I'm quite surprised to hear that. That's, yeah, I'm not, that's sure we've, language. I'm not sure the language has been deafening. You know, we made the statement a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we stand behind the rest of the international community in hoping that the changes have been made, continue to be made, and that the progress that has been made continues to to affect the lives that are on the ground. They've, they've got two specific asks, it looks like, and one is for Canada's soccer to join the 440 million workers' compensation fund for laborers. And it looks like the, the English Football Association, the French Football Federation, the Royal Dutch Football Association, and U.S. soccer have, have all done that, but Canada's soccer has not. Why has Canada's soccer not joined that fund? We've continued to make the ask of our governing body and ask them, along with the Qatari government, to continue to do the work to make the change. We believe it's their decision to make on how they affect those changes. So for those people who say that Canada soccer is punting it off to FIFA and, and Qatar, and that Canada soccer should be taking perhaps a lead on this, like other countries' soccer federations, what do you say to those people? I will say that our public statement is asking both FIFA and, and the Qataris, who are the responsible entities for, for not just what is happening in Qatar, but the event itself. It's FIFA's event. It's up to them to make those decisions with the Qatari government. How do you balance some of these issues that are coming to the fore, the human rights issues, um, and the fact that there is a lot of anticipation for this huge sporting event as well? Quite honestly, the fact that we're here for a sporting event has shone a bright light on the, the, the workers' issues, on, on the inclusion issues. Um, I'm a firm believer that sport has the ability to change, and this is one of those instances where you know, the, the challenges, the issues, or, or the rights abuses that have occurred here um, have gradually started to change, and quite frankly, they changed because of football. And there's a lot more to that conversation with the General Secretary of Canada Soccer. You can watch the entire exchange at ctvnews.ca. As much as World Cup organizers want to focus on what's happening on the soccer pitch, there are red flags difficult to dismiss, including the rainbow-colored ones outside the Qatar Embassy in London today. Here's CTV's Chief International Correspondent, Paul Workman. What do we want? Gay rights. Where do we want them? Everywhere. Everywhere. 
Human rights campaigners say it's too late for a boycott of the World Cup. But now is the perfect time to shine a light on Qatar's record of discrimination against women in general, against gays and lesbians in particular. To have the Games awarded to a country where a section of the population is not um, respected and um, welcomed kind of cuts you off. Three, five, seven, nine, equality for all every time. Peter Tatchell is a leading voice of this campaign in the UK. Last month, he staged a lone protest in Qatar, drawing attention to harsh laws that criminalize homosexuality, also drawing the attention of a carload of police officers who took the sign he was holding but gave it back to him. Returning to London with a new word, accusing FIFA of colluding with Qatar to sports wash its reputation. If a regime abuses its own people, subjects them to tyranny, uh, enacts and operates a police state, they have to be called out. The Emir of Qatar does not like what he's been hearing. The country, he says, has faced unprecedented criticism. We soon realized, he said, that much of this talk amounted to slander. Among those protesting in London today, a number of gay men originally from South Asia. Would you be afraid to go to Qatar? Yeah, that's the thing. They're not supporting us, so I'm afraid to go to Qatar. Qatar surely never expected to be denounced as racist, homophobic and sexist, but that's exactly what's happened. The prestige of hosting the World Cup has been overshadowed by concerns well beyond the seats of a soccer stadium. Paul Workman, CTV News, London. And so after years of protest and claims of progress here in Doha, this World Cup kicks off in just a few hours. As always, the first match will feature the host country. Qatar plays Ecuador at 7 p.m. local time. And we will be here all week to cover the tournament and the issues around it. For now, let's send it back over to Sandy in the National Newsroom. Sandy. All right. Thank you, Omar. Good perspective with all eyes on Doha. Well, CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver also has a front row seat as she follows the Prime Minister on his international travels. Justin Trudeau is now in Tunisia for a meeting of La Francophonie. Here's Annie's report from a country also criticized for human rights issues. After a tumultuous week with an agenda disrupted by missile strikes in Ukraine and a confrontation with the Chinese president, the prime minister arrived in Tunisia looking to boost the French language and relations with French-speaking nations. We're going to talk about geopolitical issues like uh, uh, Russia and, uh, and Ukraine and other places. But while Justin Trudeau held meetings with the leaders of Armenia and Switzerland, his first official bilateral meeting wasn't with a foreign leader of the Francophonie. It was with Quebec's premier, François Legault. And among the focuses, the decline in French in Montreal and health transfers. It's a bit of a custom uh, to do so. And, you know, we're proud to have uh, different provinces part of the Canadian delegation. A delegation that at one point considered not coming to Tunisia this year over human rights concerns. Both Quebec and Ottawa had initially contemplated a boycott or postponement. Tunisia's president, who opened the summit today, suspended parliament last year and has been criticized by human rights groups for concentrating power and attacking key institutions. 
Asked today why Canada came, the foreign affairs minister stressed the importance of showing up to engage with African nations. We are uh, making sure that we raise our concerns because we have concerns. Security has been beefed up here after weeks of anti-government protests. And just yesterday, as leaders were arriving, a clash between police and protesters, angry over the government's handling of migrant deaths, broke out near the summit. Today, Ottawa sanctioned three Haitian politicians that the government has accused of providing illicit financial and operational support to armed gangs. Tomorrow, the chaos in Haiti will take center stage at La Francophonie when leader Sandy gathered to find new ways to help. Thank you, Annie, in Jerba. A warning today from U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on day two of the Halifax International Security Forum. Russia isn't just waging a, waging a war of aggression. It's also deliberately attacking civilian targets and civilian infrastructure. These are atrocities. Austin went on to stress that Russia's invasion of Ukraine offers a preview of a possible world of tyranny and turmoil that none of us would want to live in. Defense and security officials from Western democracies are attending the annual forum. Time for a short break, but when we come back, the mystery deepens in the murders of four college students. Like a scene from a horror movie, a grisly whodunit and why is unfolding not far from the B.C. border. Four college students in northern Idaho were brutally stabbed with a large knife while some of them slept. As CTV's Tom Walters reports, police think they were targeted. The town of Moscow, Idaho is in mourning, shocked by the gruesome murders of four university freshmen. There were four dead college students who were stabbed to death all in one location. Killed at a house near the campus, three roommates, Kaylee Gonsalves, Madison Mogan, and Zena Kernodal, along with Zena's boyfriend, Ethan Chapin. Kaylee and Madison had been friends since the sixth grade. Hi. Welcome back. They were at a food truck at 1.40 last Saturday morning and arrived home at 1.45. Zena and Ethan were seen at a campus party and also arrived back at the house about 1.45 in the morning. Around noon, Moscow officers received a call of an unconscious person. It's now been revealed the victims were found in their beds, stabbed multiple times with a large knife, apparently as they slept. Did anybody do their chores today? Seen joking around in this TikTok video, the three women shared the house with two other roommates who have not been identified. Police don't believe they were involved, but they were in the house on another floor during the murders. Murders that police do not think were random. We still contend that this was targeted. Uh, we cannot divulge the information of why we believe that. But whatever that information may be, it has not led them to a suspect or even to a weapon. For now, the whole community is facing a loss that cannot be understood and a mystery that cannot yet be explained. Tom Walters, CTV News, Los Angeles. Still ahead, a celestial show. The dazzling moment a meteor flies across the night sky. Delegates to the COP27 summit in Egypt were still talking hours after the key meeting on climate change was supposed to end, struggling to find consensus. We're looking at the text and we're talking to many, uh, many different countries, including from the South, to get their perspective. 
but there was a breakthrough on a way to compensate less affluent nations. Any deal would need to be ratified unanimously in a vote by the nearly 200 nations in attendance. Well, if it feels like deja vu for the Green Party of Canada, it is, sort of. A vote tonight has returned Elizabeth May to the top job which she plans to share with former human rights worker Jonathan Padno, who will, for now, act as her deputy. But we are going to be a party that earns the trust and the faith of Canadians. We're fighting for our grandchildren. We don't give up. We don't take breaks. We work till we ensure that the planet is secure. May, who led the party from 2006 to 2019, returns after a tumultuous time when former leader Annamie Paul stepped down. May holds one of the party's two seats in the House of Commons. And southern Ontario and parts of the U.S. got quite a show in the early morning hours. A meteor detected pre-impact. The fireball was even captured zooming across the Toronto skyline by the CN Tower's EarthCam. People from Toronto to Cleveland also reported hearing a loud boom. The space rock, which was around one meter in diameter, was the sixth object detected by the Global Asteroid Warning System before impact. And the stars are aligned in Regina. When we come back, the Grey Cup party has already started. We'll have a preview next. we leave you tonight with football fever building up for the CFL's biggest game tomorrow in Regina, the Grey Cup. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers will try for their third consecutive championship, standing in their way, the underdog Toronto Argonauts. CTV's Bill Fortier is in Regina tonight. Set the stage for us, Bill. Sandy fans are now here from across Canada and beyond, but for local fans, the existential dilemma now is who to cheer for. This is Ryderville, where the party is in full swing. Among the sea of green, it seems many have already made that difficult choice. See, the bombers are the sworn enemies of Ryder Nation, but it's just as hard for prairie dwellers to cheer for Toronto. I'm still going to go with Winnipeg, because Winnipeg's the West. i got to go West. So, who are you going to cheer for? Uh, Winnipeg's off the table. Not going to happen. Never going to happen. As much as I hate Winnipeg, I'll cheer for him. <laughs> It is a hard one, but we made the decision. Well, I did. I can't cheer for Winnipeg. So it's go Argos! It's going to be tough. Because we have a good rivalry between them. We know a lot of people from Winnipeg. They're great people. They do the same for us. I think Winnipeg will toast the cup one more time. Whichever way the game goes, expect a loud crowd. This stadium is sold out. Game time is 5 p.m. local time tomorrow. Sandy. Thank you, Bill. We'll be watching. Thank you for sharing your time with us. I'm Sandy Ronaldo. For all of us at CTV National News, good night.